Hello, we at Grace Covenant Church in Gunnison, Colorado are grateful and humbled that we get to be part of your sanctification today. We invite you to review our sermons online, but also stress the importance of being joined to a biblical local church, the life of the church, and the spiritual gifts God has given us to express in the church. Our website is www.gracegunnison.com. There you can find sermons and other resources as well as our location and service times. The members of Grace Covenant Church Gunnison pray that the following messages will be a blessing to you. Look at this. We see the condition of God's people in between the blessedness, the favor of God, and the benediction. Jesus' teaching here can be uncomfortable to some, even to us at times when we analyze our own selves in relation to what Jesus is teaching here. But it should bring great great comfort to all of us. All the Beatitudes are self-probing. They are soul-searching. They put us before it and say, do we look like this? This eighth Beatitude is no different than the, the rest. In fact, it's probably more so on this eighth Beatitude. Let us read together. If you, let's read the entire passage. Let's start in verse 1 and read through verse 12. If you'll read along in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles around. Hear the Word of the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on the mountain. And after He sat down, His disciples came to Him. And He opened His mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And thus ends the reading of the word this morning. May the Lord bless the reading to our hearts this morning. And may the Spirit illuminate it for us this morning through the preaching of the word. Blessed are the persecuted. It's easy to say. It's simple to understand, but it's hard to live. I'm glad that this beatitude is last in the line of the eight. For if it were first, I don't know if I'd want to continue on to the other seven. But we see that the first seven have prepared us for this eighth. And there again, uh, for those who have not heard, they are online. And I'd love for you to go back and, and listen to the prior sermons to see where this is leading. But when we think of persecuted and blessed, those almost don't seem to go together. It's like you, you, big question marks come up. 
persecuted, blessed, or are you, are you sure? And it seems to be a strange blessedness. But really, in reality, so are the others. When we think about it, the mourning, the poor in spirit. I mean, you know, in our natural sense, or the, the world would say, you know, blessed are the rich and those that are successful and those that don't have any problems in life, right? But Christ is giving us uh, the upside-down kingdom, if you will. Not for God, but for our own mentality. He is telling us what the kingdom of God is like, not what sinful man has decided kingdom should be like. Christ begins with the poor in spirit. Poor. He begins with poor and ends with blessed, persecuted. These are the marks of a Christian. These are the character qualities. One Scottish pastor of the last century named MacLeod He said this, and I think this is true today. Speaking of the church, he said, the greatest criticism of the church today is that no one wants to persecute it because there's nothing very much to persecute it about. It's quite the indictment. Quite the indictment on what the church should be. It's a a sad statement for many professing Christians maybe are not giving the world anything to persecute them about. Uh, I'm reminded of what one another pastor said. He said the problem with modern day preachers is nobody wants to kill them. <laughs> you know, the prophets, they wanted to kill them. Many of the preachers of the Reformation and the early church, they wanted to kill them because they were confronting with sin and the holiness of God. People didn't like it. But listen to this. If you live for God, you can expect trouble from the world. You can expect it. If you are, if you, if you are as the world is, or if you have one foot in the world and one in religious circles, the world will not trouble you. They have no reason to because you're like them. But persecution does come to the believer uh, Henry Smith, another uh, Puritan, he said that he said this. He says, "God examine, uh, examineth us with trials; the devil examineth with temptations, and the world with persecutions." So the examination is the persecution that comes upon us from the world, and you are on one side or the other of this persecution. Think about another religious man named Saul. Saul of Tarsus, religious. But one day, when he was knocked off his horse, and he heard the Lord call, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Lord, who are you? You see, he was persecuting the church, the people of God, the people of Christ, and therefore Christ says, you are persecuting me. So we're either persecuting Christ or we're on the receiving side of it. It's one way or the other. But blessed is the one who is persecuted by the world. This is what true disciples will experience. All who seek to live a life in Christ's righteousness will experience this. Not steadily and not at all times, but it will come. The one who desires to live for the glory of God will be shunned by the world. The one who follows Christ and His Word, obeying it, the one who loves Christ, 
What does it say? If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. The one who is faithfully walking them out will experience this from the world. This is a promise. But let's look at what the promise is not to help us with what the problem, what the promise is. What this is not is what is preached in some circles. Healthy, wealthy, prosperous. You'll get all these things if you come to Christ, some will say. The health and wealth gospel. It's no gospel at all. It's a false gospel is what it is. It's a misunderstanding and a perversion of what God has said and has spoken. It's a false gospel. But here he says, blessed are the persecuted. The, the world says persecution should be avoided by all, at all costs. Whatever you can do, you know, take the easy way. Avoid this. But the promise is persecution. And that leads us to what the promise is. That all who seek to follow Christ, to walk the narrow way, will experience this wrath of man, this persecution. In fact, what does Paul say to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12? All, I say again, all those who will live godly in Jesus Christ must suffer persecution, will suffer persecution. All of them. This is a promise. In fact, dear Christian, you are promised persecutions and trials and suffering. Yes, you promise those in this life. Now, before it gets too much doom and gloom, there is joy to come. There is joy even in it. But I want to lay this out as God has said to the persecuted pilgrims. Those are those who are living here upon this world, but this world is not our home. One must count the cost. One must understand what he is getting into. In fact, the new believer, the one who is new coming to faith, must understand this reality of persecution. Because if you don't, you may be caught off guard or blindsided. And I can testify, when I was a new believer, I was blindsided by this point. So I want to tell you, so that those who are new believers, those who have been believers a while, have already experienced these things, But a believer can count on this occurring. In fact, going back to Paul, Paul who was Saul before, when Paul was first converted, he was alerted to this persecution early on. If you remember back in Acts 9, in Acts 9, so after he'd been knocked off his horse, he was blinded, he had scales over his eyes, he was blinded for three days. And the Lord sent an angel to Ananias, and he told Ananias, go, and he says, uh, he says uh, go to Saul of Tarsus, get up and go to the street called Straight. Come in and lay hands on him that he might receive sight and regain his sight. And Ananias says, Lord, I, I, I've heard of this man. I, 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 he's, a, he's killing Christians. Lord, I, I, you know, he was a question there of, should I go? And the Lord said, go, for he is my chosen instrument, for I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for my namesake. That was the call to a life of suffering. 
You know, what is the basis of persecution? What I mean, what is the reason why this persecution is coming? It's not just for any cause. Like you, you could have a good cause, a noble cause, and be persecuted for it. But that's not what he's saying here. It's not saying that you're being persecuted for your own folly, your own mess-ups. You know, there's sowing and reaping. There's times when we do sin and we mess up and then we reap the consequences and there's persecution. He's not talking about that. What he's saying is for the sake of righteousness. Persecuted for this. So he's, he's pinpointing what, what the issue is. And now we must ask, well, what, what does this mean? The sake of righteousness. What is he talking about? Well, what it means in layman's terms, is it's for being and doing right in the eyes of God. Now that second, that last part is very important, in the eyes of God. Because what you and I think are right, or what the world thinks is right or wrong, is upside down. So it's doing and being what is right in the eyes of God. It's conforming our character and our actions to that of Christ. Now Christ is the Lord of Christ is the Lord, our righteousness. Jeremiah talks about that. In fact, he is the righteousness of God, Christ Jesus is. So the one who is standing justified by God through faith in Christ and living his life in accordance with what God has required of us is walking in this righteousness. It means leading a life of holiness. So if you are persecuted for living a life of holiness. In fact for the sake of righteousness means to be like Christ. So persecuted for being like him. That's what it is. It's not for some noble cause. It's persecuted for being like Christ. Here is a fundamental statement that you could write in the front of your Bible if you'd like. This promise. God's people will often be violently opposed. Just to remind ourselves. God's people will often be violently opposed. Now. Where are the points of contact of persecution? Now when I'm talking about this. Okay. If you're a soldier in battle. And you hear the gunfire come, they'll say, contact, contact. Where is the contact coming from? Six o'clock. Straight ahead, at your six. There's contact, so there's, it's, it's coming. You have to know the direction of the fire so that you can engage. Okay, where is the contact coming from? Well, many times it's, yeah, all those directions. But I want to give us two broad categories to think about as Christians, as believers. One is from the outside. And one is from the inside. The outside, I mean outside of our Christian community. Outside of those who are walking with the Lord. Now this is where we expect it, right? I mean, we expect that to come against us. But but even that sometimes is strange. When, When we think about this, I mean, would you think that... The most righteous, I mean, wouldn't you think that the most righteous among people should be honored by, by others? I mean, we'd think that, right? 
He's walking, he's, 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 he's doing, he's walking in the commandments of the Lord. But to outsiders, that doesn't happen. They actually hate us when we do this. They say that it's, it's okay to have a cause. You can have a cause. You can have something you stand for. You can have a, a religious persuasion. You can be spiritual. Just don't bring Jesus Christ into it. That's the, that's the, the issue. And the family members that are not walking there, they will say, let's, let's stay away from those people. Not the people that are, you know, carousing and sleeping around. No, the people that are walking with Jesus Christ. Stay away from those people. It's very interesting. Let's keep our kids away from that side of the family. They're a little out there. Doesn't make sense, but we see it time and time again. And then there's from the inside. Now this can be startling. I'm just going to warn you. This can be startling when it happens. I'm talking about inside the church. Inside what we think are the church walls. Now the church is the body of Christ. It's not a building. But when we think about the religious people, the church folks. Well, when persecution comes from them, it, it, it shocks us. It should not surprise us, but it, it does. It, it does. It's hurtful and it shakes our core. But I want, to think of, I want you to think about who opposed Jesus the most. Was it the outsiders, the, the sinners? No. It was the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Sadducees. No, they opposed him the most. What about the first Christians? Well, they got it from the Romans. I'll, take, I'll give that. But much of theirs was from the, the Jewish church who would not see their Messiah. And they came and persecuted the Christians. The reformers, where was their biggest antagonism? The church hierarchical. They came after them. Burned them. Took their heads off. Talk about torturous folks. Those within the religious circles. The Puritans, they got it from the church folks. So why do you have to be so pure? Why do you have to be so fanatical? <laughs> Can't we just tamp it down a bit? They came after them. You see, the religious folks, the nominal Christians, that's Christian by name, I, I don't even like that term, I don't even think there's such a thing, but they will strike out at the true follower of Christ. They will strike out. Because your life will convict their own life that's not walking in the same way. So they will come after you. If you seek to follow that narrow path, to follow Christ and His Word, all of it, they will come after you. And I saw it early. I've seen it in my Christian walk. I've seen it from members of the church, those who were in membership, who maybe weren't followers of Christ. Um, early on, um, in my Christian walk, I was with a, a church and um, 
We saw much persecution coming against the pastor and against some of us from the deacons that were in the church. And it was painful. It was, it was hard to understand why this was happening. But I wasn't the pastor, even though I was walking side by side with him. So it wasn't too personal yet, but it was still trying. But then I was a pastor later on, and we were coming in, helping a church that was having all kinds of issues. And I was a lay pastor, and um, the people in the church, many, many of them, threw much persecution at, at personally at me, personally at my wife, um, through words, through slander, through much, much pain. And I, and I was shocked at it. I, I, didn't, I didn't understand. And I called a pastor friend of mine who had been in the ministry a long time, and he said, well, yeah. And uh, I said, well, can you believe this is happening? You know, can, can, aren't you shocked? No, I'm, I'm not shocked. And I was like, well, why? And he, he sent me this verse. He, he sent me Matthew 5.10, bless are the persecuted. He sent me several other verses about where, you know, in First Peter, bless are you when people revile you. He said this, these things happen. And these things happen to show who are my people and who are not. But it was painful, but at the same time, it was good for me to see that early on. To know that these things can happen, and these things are painful. What are the types of persecution? So what are the categories? We've seen where the contact comes from. The categories here are listed within the text. There's three. We see it in word, in deed, and then false witness. So he says... In verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you. So that's words and persecute you. That's physical acts, deeds, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. All of these things are because of Christ. They're coming and they're lashing out. So they're first going to use their words. Now we probably heard as children... Um, the little cute saying, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's just a lie. <laughs> we shouldn't use that. Words are painful and they do hurt. Words have power. But they'll throw words at you. They will insult you. Reviling is what this is. It will come after you. And then in physical acts. No. We think of things as I mentioned, the reformers of things such as physical acts of, of taking one's life, removing the head from the body, burning at the stake, putting in burning oil, crucifying people. So we think of those things, but there's other things that acts against can happen. You may not get your promotion in the job that you're in. You might lose your job for your stand for Christ. You may not get the position uh, within the civil government. You, you may be stalled out where you are because that woman, that man is a Christ follower. You might not get those places. You might be treated by the family and friends as other than because of your stand for Christ. So we'll see that in physical acts. And we'll see that when that doesn't work, they're going to slander you. 
They're not going to say, oh, well, he, he's just a, you know, a Bible fanatic and he's at church. No, they're going to start saying things. Well, I saw him. I saw, I saw this. I heard, you know, slandering, lying, bearing false witness against you. I want you to see that all three of these are aimed together to accomplish something. What they want to do is they want to make you silent. They want to shut you up or cause you to apostatize, to, to uh, put away the Christian faith, to, to turn, to get on their side. But they want to shut you up. If they can slander you, if they can use words to hurt you, if they can use physical acts to keep you down, they will keep you quiet. Now this is the danger of what we see in our modern day of this muzzling practice that we see. You ask what am I talking about? I'm talking about the covering up of the face of people who are made in the image of God to shut you up. Get in your place. Keep quiet. These things are designed to that. We need to see this is what they're overarching plan of the world to put you in your place get back in line you Christian all these things are meant to come against Christ and to come against those who follow him what about we need to look at what we live in a certain time period but we need to look at the history of the church we need to look at persecution in the history of the church this is not a new thing brethren the church has been around for 2,000 years. And even before that, faithful believers of Christ walked this earth and experienced this same thing. You see, a real Christian will not be accepted by the world. They will not be accepted by the one who's got one foot in the world and one in the religious circles either. No, he will be a, he will be a black sheep, somebody that's a little out there, Look at, I want you to turn to another gospel. Turn to Luke 6 right quick. Luke 6. I want you to see what Jesus said to us here to help us. Luke 6, verse 22. And Luke is recording in his gospel the words of Christ. He said, Blessed are you when men hate you. Really? Blessed are men, or excuse me, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, their fathers used to treat the prophets. And then look down in verse 26. This is another one maybe you should write in the front of your Bible. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. I remember as a kid hearing, well that person is not really spoken well of. Well, depends on what, for what. If it's because they're a Christian, then praise the Lord. 
The gospel is a sword that divides. What did Jesus say? I came and I will put mother-in-law against her mother and daughter against mother. Family member against family member. The gospel is a sword that divides. It's dividing heaven and hell. It's dividing believers and unbelievers. Christians and the one prof- you know, pretending to be so. The ones that say they're a good person. You see, there's, there's, there's some that say they're a good person and there's others that know they're not and come to faith in Christ and plead for mercy. But when we think about persecution and the history of the church, the most fruitful times in the history of Christ's church have been the times of severe and fierce persecution. The most fruitful times. Really? Yeah. Go read, the bio, go read biographies of saints that have gone before us. Read the history of the church in conflict. Here's a good book for you uh, right before bed reading. Go read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Anybody read that? You need to read that. Fox's Book of Martyrs. The saints that went before us that lost their life for the testimony of the gospel. But the most prolific time in Christ's church is when it's been watered by its own blood. Why? Why? Why is this so? It's because the true Christian cannot be ignored. The true Christian, this one, the world is confronted By the reality of God in the person who is a true Christian. And he cannot be ignored. Just like Christ cannot be ignored. You must either love him or hate him. And that is the same for you, brethren. In fact, one Georgian minister from the last century, he said this of Christians. He said, Christians, these people must either be crowned or crucified. Because they are either mighty right or mighty wrong. That's the true Christian. Not the wishy-washy, you know, in name only, but the true Christian. He's either mighty right or mighty wrong. Like I said before, the same goes for Christ. Look at Stephen. Stephen, preaching the word to the Jewish people, preaching that this is your Messiah who has come, preaching the gospel of peace, and they stoned him to death. Martyrdom is seen throughout the history of the church. Think of the martyrdom of the apostles. All of them but one were martyred in cruel ways. John, he was the only one that wasn't. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. But even him, they tried to kill. They put him in a a big bat of boiling oil. I don't know how he lived through that. And then they thought, well, we'll just put him over there on that island. He'll be quiet there. Well, he wrote part of the New Testament there. He got the revelation of Jesus Christ on that island. And we have that in our Bible. Think of the early church. Many in the early church were crucified. Put on a cross. And left to die. Burned. Torn by wild beasts. All the gladiator games, you know, we watch the gladiator and all that. That, that, They put Christians in there with the wild beasts. Nero, 
He was the emperor of Rome. He thought it would be fun when he had his big parties to take the Christians and plaster them in pitch, tie them to posts up high, and light them on fire so that people could walk the path to the party, smelling the burning flesh of Christians. He thought that was fun. That's what happened to Christians in primitive times. The church prospered under this persecution. They prospered. They grew leaps and bounds. The Romans, the Roman government, attempted to obliterate Christianity, to wipe it off the face of the earth. Speaking of any form of government that that is not (laughs) inhabited by Christians, Christians will be seen as a threat. Any form of government. You're seen as a threat. We can't can't control them. They have another king. So you're seen that way. But going back to the Romans trying to obliterate Christianity, one of the early church fathers, his name was Tertullian, he noted that every time the church was violently persecuted, that the church grew faster and became more pure. Meaning they didn't have a loose Christianity. They were devoted to Christ. His famous quote was this, and maybe you've heard it. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The church grows fastest in the ashes of the martyrs. We don't see this as much in our country. It might seem foreign to us, but history proves this fact. Look at China. China, uh, communist Mao, he came in and tried to obliterate Christianity. China is the most Christianized growing country in the world. And they're worshiping underground and they're still persecuted, but they are strong in the faith. They're in China. Mao's communism could, is no match for Christ's kingdom. More than likely, even in our own country, that the reason for the weakness of the church in this country is the lack of persecution. I, I hesitate to say we need more persecution because <laughs> that's a hard call, but you see it in the church. The more persecution, the more growth. It was a blessing to me and my wife. We, we got to go to Scotland and England back when we were still free to travel, you know, back in the day. And uh, we would go and see where martyrs, Christians, were killed for their faith. I can picture today on the street where there was an X and it was set up there where two men were burned at the stake. They were both preachers. One was named Latimer. One was named Ridley. It was in 19, excuse me, 1555. 1555, during the reign of Bloody Mary. And these men said that, that the Lord's table was for believers in Christ only. They believed in guarding the table. They, they said things like, baptism of an infant does not save, and that it's faith in Christ alone that saves, that Scripture is the only authority and not the church Ecclesiastic, but the scriptures. And they said, You, the queen and those in charge, says, You recant. 
take that back or we're going to kill you. And they said, no, we will not take that back. We will not recant. And so as they were tied back to back and the wood was piled up and they were set on fire and burned while their children and wife watched, Kramer spoke to Ridley and he says, be of good cheer, Master Ridley. Play the man, for we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. As his flesh was burned. And you know who was watching was a man named, uh, a man named Kramer, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he was watching from the window as those two men burned for their faith. Kramer, days before, had signed a recant. <coughs> He didn't want to be burned. So he signed a recant. says, okay, I take those things back. But when he saw those men burned and the grace of God came in and convicted his heart, he went back to the queen and says, I recant of my recantation and that what I said first is true. Burn I may. And she said, burn you will. And as, she, as he went to the fire, And the flame started. He stuck his right hand into the flame first. It says, burn this sinful hand that signed that evil document. And burn it first. And he died there for his faith. And the church continued to grow and blossom through this time. As these men and women gave their lives for the gospel. To go and see the history of that was powerful. To read about this history is I encourage you to do so. But through this, we've seen what the essence of this persecution is. What the Christian will face. But now let's look at the response. The response that we must have to this reality. Let's apply it to us right now, right here. So the Christian response I want to give you is threefold. Number one is expect it. Number two is redirect your focus. And number three is exult in it. Let's look at each. Expect it. Expect it. It's coming. So arm yourself ahead of time. Prepare for this. Well, how can I prepare? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you a few things. One is labor to be qualified. Labor to be qualified. Yes, labor to be qualified. That means strive towards righteousness. That's why you're persecuted. It's for righteousness. So strive To be more like Christ. Being transformed by the word of God. Number two. Avoid that which hinders. What are the things that hinder us? I'll give you two main ones. Love of the world hinders us. It chokes out the word, Christ says. So we must die to the word, to the world. In fact, When we come to saving faith and we come to the baptism, when a new believer is baptized, we say that. Do you renounce this world, sin and Satan, and pledge to follow Christ by His grace with all your heart? Yes. Die to the world. Die to sin that so easily entangles us. And secondly, after love of the world, the things that we should avoid is the fear of man. We all struggle with that. Whether you admit it or not, there is the fear of man. And Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man is a snare. 
It's a trap. Get your hand in it and you can't get it out. Fear of man is, will take us back and will prevent us from standing for God. And fear of man will make sin appear little and it will make suffering appear great. But what's the opposite of that? Fear of God. Fear of God will make sin seem great and suffering small. Very small. Thirdly, on, on the, the, on, on the, sorry, messed, messed my words up here. So on expecting it, thirdly, we are to know his word. To know the scriptures is to know Christ. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Fourthly, cultivate the heart of a true disciple. So we've been studying that in the Beatitudes. So look at these eight Beatitudes and cultivate a heart of the true disciple. And that would include things such as self-denial. Self-denial. Deny yourself and take up your cross, the Lord said. Thomas Watson, another wonderful Puritan man, he said this, A true saint carries Christ in his heart and the cross on his shoulders. Being willing to deny yourself. And along with that cultivating a heart, preparedness to a life of suffering. You're not promised an easy path here. If anybody has given you that lie... I'm sorry, because <laughs> it's not what the Bible says. Preparedness, preparedness for a life of suffering. And then secondly, on our response, is to redirect your focus. What do I mean by that? Redirect our focus. Where is our focus normally going to be when persecution comes? Suffering. Right? Here, self, right? Poor, poor me. And, and we, our situation is, oh, oh, it's so dire. And so we're looking inward, right? So we need to redirect our focus upward. We need to look to Christ. We need to focus on the Lord and set our gaze upon the Savior. That's what we need to do. So I want to ask you a few questions. I want to ask you a few questions, believer. For the sake of righteousness, I want to ask you these. Are you reproached for your faith? Have you been? Are you right now? Are you reproached? So was Christ. So was Christ. In Matthew 27, 20, it says, They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Mocked him. Put a crown. So you're a king. They put a crown of thorns. Robed him in purple, mocking him. I ask you another question. Are you slandered? Are you slandered? Are you lied about for the name of Christ? So was Christ. So was he. In fact, it was said of him that he cast out devils by the prince of devils. They said he was a glutton and a drunkard. They lied. So if they've lied about him, they will lie about you. Are you reviled? Are you reviled for righteousness' sake? Have you been reviled? So was Christ. Mark 14, 6. They spat upon him. 
Have you been spit upon? I have. In fact, George Whitfield, when he preached, he said it wasn't a good day or he didn't preach hard enough if he didn't have several rotten tomatoes thrown at him and dead cats. It wasn't a good day. <laughs> I, didn't, I must not have preached well enough. They reviled him. In fact, they slapped him on the head and said, prophesy, who slapped you? I ask you another question. Are you betrayed by friends? Have you been? So was Christ. The one who walked with him, Judas, he betrayed the Lord for a kiss and 30 pieces of silver. Hmm. Have they taken your belongings? Have they taken your earthly possessions? And so they did to Christ. They parted his garments and cast lots for them. Matthew 25, 30. Excuse me, Matthew 27, 35. Before that, the, the, Jesus said, The Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. Do you suffer unjustly? And so did he. In fact, Pilate said to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. He tried to release him. He said, Crucify him anyway. Do you suffer death? Well, I know you haven't yet because you're here breathing, but may you suffer death. Christ did. Christ did. Luke 23, 33, when they came to Calvary, there they crucified Him upon that tree. But Jesus, He drank from this cup that was mixed with the wrath of God. Not just the death, but the wrath of God on sin. If He bore the wrath of God for me, can't I bear man's wrath for Christ? Or, or I ask you this, if Christ bore the wrath of God for you, can't you bear man's wrath for Christ? Do you see that? Do you see this? We bring honor and glory to Christ and His gospel through our suffering. Suffering with joy. And I remind you that the showers of the blood of Christ's chosen people have made His church ever fruitful. But this brings us to the third and final application. And it is this. Exult in it. Exult in persecution. That means rejoice. In fact, Jesus says rejoice and be glad. This is the only command we find in the whole Beatitudes, I'll have you. The rest of them have been indicatives. I mean, this is what God has done. This is what you are. Now Jesus gives us an imperative. The only one in these whole 12 verses, rejoice. That's a command. And be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. The natural man cannot even fathom this. Rejoice. Be glad. Are you kidding me? Yes. There's blessing in persecution. There's rejoicing in suffering. It's a joy to share in the sufferings of Christ. And to delight in the reward that awaits us. Hang with me. We're finishing up. I know. But what is this reward? Great is your reward in heaven. What do you think of there? I mean, do we think of the little cartoons and we're just flying around in the clouds and all this stuff? Playing on harps? That's not what he's talking about. That's man's imagination. No. 
What is the, what is the great reward in heaven? What is it? Have you ever thought about that? It's God himself. It's Jesus Christ the Savior. It's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is him that is the reward. People say, well, I get to heaven. I'm going to do this. I'm going to see this. You're not going to be focused on any of that. You're going to see God. You're going to see God. Mm. Persecution is blessing. And I want to leave you with this. It confirms who you are. In fact, if you're a Christian and you've never experienced any persecution, that should concern you too. I'm not saying all the time, 124 hours a day, but if you've never experienced any for the sake of Christ, are you some sort of secret Christian, some sort of secret agent? There's no such thing. So if we're testifying to the word, to the Lord, you're going, many times we don't suffer persecution, not because we live in a free country, but because we don't share our faith. You go try sharing your faith to just your neighborhood, and trust me, you'll see some persecution. But what I'm trying to tell you is when this happens, persecution, it is evidence for you that I'm on the right road. The the road's bumpy. Okay, good. I'm on the right path. I know where I am. The road's narrow. Okay, all right. I know the unbelief I might be having, I'll put it out of mind because I know I'm on the right path. I'm, I'm in good company here. I'm in the company of the prophets who went before me. Jeremiah and Isaiah and Hosea and Daniel, David, John the Baptist, all of those who suffered persecution. He said, you're on the same road they're on. James says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you come across various trials. 1 Peter 4, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you when it comes for your testing, as if this was some strange thing happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of His glory, you may receive, may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter and the apostles, they were in prison for preaching the word. Do you remember? They were, they were put in prison. They were released by the angel in the middle of the night. And the angel says, go stand and speak the whole message of life. Go back to where you were, to the temple where they were arrested. They go right back to the temple and they start preaching. Well, they're arrested again. And they told him, he says, we told you not to preach in that man's name. And they said, you be the judge. Uh, we must obey God rather than man. Now, we are to submit to government authorities, but when it comes against the word of God, we must resist. And say, no, I will not cease to preach Christ And you know what? They finally said, fine, we can't do anything about these Christians. We can't control them. Let's just beat them up a bit. So they flogged them. Now this is not a gentle flogging. They whooped them hard. They probably used a cat of nine tails with bones attached to it to break open their skin. 
And they flogged them and then released them. Now, did the apostles go and, and have a pity party for themselves? <laughs> no. Acts 5, 41. So they went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. They were beaten up and they were glorifying God. That they were counted worthy to be as the prophets who went before them. We're on the right road, brothers. We're on that road. The greater the suffering for Christ, the greater the heavenly rewards we will see. Friends, the climate in our nation is changing rapidly. Rapidly. Persecution is coming. Don't leave here and say, I didn't tell you so. Because it is. If you stand for Christ, you are going to feel the wrath of the world against Christ. Our suffering may be lasting, but it is not everlasting. What I mean by that is this life is just a a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And we live for another kingdom. We serve another king. Our suffering will not be everlasting. Thomas Watson said, Our affliction is compared to a cup, but the wicked will drink of a sea of wrath that has no bottom. It will never be emptied. When you walk through that persecution, Jesus walks with you. When you go through the fires, I will be with you. When you go through the floods, I will be right beside you. His grace will carry you through whatever He calls you to. I promise you this. Only a short while longer and we will enter our rest where there will be be no more persecutions, there will be no more suffering, no more tears. It will all be done away with and all will be made right. We shall reign with Christ. He preached that to the early church in Revelation 20, that they are seated on thrones with Christ, reigning right now. Those who have given their lives and been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Reigning. So be glad and leave for joy. Be comforted with this, that you are counted among the righteous. What you have, Christian, cannot be taken away by any man or any earthly power. Can't be taken away. John Christosom, he was a preacher of the first few centuries. Uh, I think in 400 or so, and the, the, the lady that was the emperor said, well, I'm going to banish you from this land. And he said, oh man, you can't banish me from this land. My Lord owns all of this land. He says, well, I'm going to take you from your friends and put you in a place where you'll have no one to talk to. And he says, oh, ma'am, I have a, one that's closer than a brother, a friend in heaven that will never leave me nor forsake me. He said, well, I'll slay you then. I'll take your life. He said, no, the Lord has that too. He has my life and my body and my soul is in his hand. And you can do nothing without his approval. 
And she was so mad that she could not do anything about this Christian. So she banished him anyway. But we have his testimony now. Many of his sermons we have too to rejoice in this man's testimony. So I leave you with this last, this last point. Rejoice. Rejoice in exaltation when persecution for Christ's sake comes. Because this is the same way that the Savior Jesus Christ went. The same way that His saints have gone. It's the cross now. Then the crown. If you want the crown now, it'll be punishment for all eternity. It'll be suffering here, but glory to come. It'll be violent persecution, possibly for a season. But there'll be peace and prosperity forevermore. Forevermore when we see and dwell with Christ. So delight in the company you are in. And delight in the Savior that you serve. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you give us the grace to stand for you. To be, to testify to the gospel. To fear God and not fear man. To walk circumspectly. To not leave this earth without making a testimony for you. For everything we've, all else we've done will, will burn up. But only the things that we've done for Christ will last. Father, I pray that your church will prosper through persecution. I know it, it will and it has and it is right now. There is persecution happening right now. Lord, I pray for grace for those men and women and children to stand upon your truth and stand for the King of Kings. Father, give us the grace to do so. May, may you prepare us ahead of time. Father, I pray that each person, each man, woman, and child here today is prepared more now than they were. Lord, continue to give us, make us ready to stand for you. Whatever it may be. And when the world tries to take one of us or some of us out, then one more step up in that place. And be a light. And may we burn for Christ, whether we live or we die. And may you get all the glory for that. In your son's precious name, amen.